Hey friends, welcome to the Oklahoma Next Gen Leaders podcast, which is created to ignite your kingdom purpose and equip you to reach your potential for a global harvest. On today's episode, Jason Sharp, a forward-thinking leader and pastor in Dell City, Oklahoma, talks with Eugene Wilson, founder of the coaching and consulting organization Equipping Leaders and president of Texas Bible College, about what we as Next Gen Leaders need to pursue who we need to listen to, and what we should allow to guide our lives. Don't go anywhere. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, Next Gen Leaders, it is good to be with you today, and uh, we've got an exciting special treat today. Dr. Eugene Wilson is going to be with us on this podcast and uh, excited about his input and all of the value that he's going to add to this time together with us. Uh, If you don't know Dr. Eugene Wilson, he's written several books on leadership. I think he's a very capable voice uh, for this podcast, and I'm just looking forward to what he has to share with us today. Dr. Wilson, we're glad you can be here. Oh, thank you, Pastor Jason Sharp. I am delighted, looking forward to sharing. I love our topic that we're going to be talking about here for the next few moments. Amen. We've got some next-gen leaders that are going to be with us. These are highly capable, highly uh, active in the kingdom, high potential people that are really just looking to uh, improve themselves. And so uh, anybody that's willing to spend the time to grow listening to a podcast like this is obviously desperate for something that will help them be more uh, equipped in the kingdom of God. I got a question for you. Uh, What uh, do you feel like people in the category uh, that we're talking here, next-gen leaders, need to be focused on in their ministry, and maybe a better way to phrase it would be, what distractions do they need to be avoiding? Yeah, that's a tremendous question. I think the next generation, um, well, I think all of us, but you know, we're talking the next gen. So um, I think a big deal is that we need to be focused on our purpose. We need to be accomplishing what God has um, set in motion for us. And ultimately, that is um, to be a follower of Christ. Uh, to, you know, Christ formed in us the hope of glory. Uh, but then in a personal, a very specific uh, personal pursuit of doing what God has called us to do. Uh, you know, the Purpose Driven Life book is the number two most sold book uh, in, in the world. Uh, just millions and millions of copies. It's been translated to uh just tons. I think the last time I looked, it's like 52 something different languages and uh, people want to find their purpose. They want to live out their purpose. And of course I write a lot about that. Um, I serve as the president of Texas Bible college and I deal with a lot of young up and coming leaders. And um, we talk a lot about purpose and uh, about aligning with it. And I know my own personal life trying to align with purpose. And uh, I often, often thought of it like a funnel. It's kind of wide at the top, narrow at the bottom. 
And it seems as though throughout life, I've experienced that over and over again. Uh, for an example, I remember I uh, went to my doctoral school and I was in a, a week of residency. And uh, one of the instructors made the statement. He said, when you graduate, you know nothing now, is what he said. <laughs> kind of shocked. It's like, you know nothing now. And I'm looking at Harvard grads and men who run businesses and vice presidents of major companies. And and uh, I'm kind of blown away by, uh, you know, this individual gets up and says, you know nothing now. And he says, when you get done in three and a half years, four years, you walk across the stage, you get your diploma, you've completed your doctorate. He said, you're still going to know nothing. And of course, we were all like shocked, you know. And uh, and then he said, he said, when you walk across the stage, he said, you, you will have learned how to study, how to dig deep, how to research. And he said, it would be like opening a door and you peer through the crack in the door and on the other side is this massive arena. And I have a doctorate in strategic leadership. And he was talking to us as students, you know, of leadership. And he said, you look through the crack in this door and you see this vast arena filled with, with leadership. And he said, and you go over to one little spot and you pull out as though it were a little book. And on that book is a subject within leadership, like say character. And he said, and you can expend the rest of your life, spend the rest of your life doing nothing but studying that one subject in relationship to leadership. And he said, and you can make a great contribution to humanity. I'll never forget that moment. It was like, here I am after all of these years, you know, my BA, my master's, going into my doctorate, I've narrowed the funnel, you know, from the wide opening to, the, to this narrow opening. And he's telling me, that in three and a half years when I walk across the stage, it's going to be really wide again. And then you got to find what that niche is and begin to focus in on that. And I've experienced that in my own personal life as I have uh, assisted my father, who was a pastor. And then I went to pastor and then I was a small home missions church. And then I went on staff full time and, uh, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And then from there to travel a little bit, to become an executive pastor at the Pentecostals of Katy in Katy, Texas, to uh, become a president of Texas Bible College. And I just keep experiencing this over and over again. So I, I, I feel that there's not a whole lot more in life more enjoyable than finding your purpose and really going after it, paying the, the price, sacrifice. So that's a long introduction to say uh, you asked a question. What is the challenge in 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 this? And how do how do you how do you get there? And uh, I believe it's it's the noise pollution. Um, we have noise pollution from expectations laid on us, from perhaps family or peers. We have noise pollution from what society thinks we should be doing. We have noise pollution from just the conventional thinking. Um, you know how do you how do you move forward in life? And it seems as though you know, the way that you move forward in life is you get more. And Jesus messes it all up. And he says, no, it's not about uh, getting more. He said, it's about giving. And he's always doing the complete opposite of, of conventional thinking. So noise pollution is a big deal. Anyway, I'm, I'm, it's a, that's a mouthful, but... Uh, what, you what, say what you noise think? pollution. <laughs> well, I, I think when you talk about noise pollution, um, you kind of 
you kind of that's a broad paintbrush what you mentioned some uh okay let's talk about some of the voices then that are out there uh, what voices are out there and and how do we filter through them what's the filter then to really get clarity yeah good question um this, this is going to sound a little abnormal, if, I, if I'm saying that right, um, in relationship to the world around us. And uh, ultimately, the Word of God trumps everything. And um, I'm not, this is going to sound a little negative. I'm not sure that we understand the value of the Word of God. And I'm not sure that we are fully aligned with it. Uh, I, I think that a lot of times we have developed um, this concept that what I, I think and and how I feel. And we talk to our peers, we talk to our friends, and we create our theology based on what we feel, what we think. And you know, it's so interesting. When, when you stop and think about this, this is interesting. And I, I know this is a little... I'm, I'm taking this slightly out of context. I'm, I'm kind of doing a little wordplay here, so I'm acknowledging that right now. But I think it gives a word picture to what I'm trying to say. And um, that is, you have um, you have Isaac, who has his sons brought before him, and you have Jacob, and you have Esau. And he, and Isaac can't see. He's, his, his eyes have uh, are, are failing him. And, of course, you know the story. And uh, Rebecca has helped set up this plan so that so that Jacob can trick his brother out of his birthright. And, and of course, Esau's got hairy arms, and he takes an animal skin, he puts it on his arms, and he goes in. And this is what Isaac says. He says, "Your arms they feel like the arms of of, this, of uh, Esau. This feels like Esau, but your voice sounds like Jacob." And he makes a decision based off of what he feels, not what he hears. That's good. And uh, I think that we do that a lot. I think we make decisions based off of how we feel. And, uh, you know, we, we've developed theology that's not right. Well, God God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be, you know, to, to feel good. God wants me to be satisfied. We develop all these kind of theologies that are not necessarily scripturally sound you know um, most of the disciples lost their lives you know and uh we developed thoughts we know god god wants me to be happy and happy means that i'm going to have the car that i want i'm going to have the income that i want and um you know i think what he's what god wants us to do is to find our fulfillment in him our affirmation our validation should come from him not not what we accomplish and so these these are just a few. I, mean, the, I think the list is long, to be honest, concerning noise pollution. You know, there's when we talk about that, um, I think of I think just media in general. You've got news media, you've got uh, social media, you've got voices that are speaking. Really, they're trying to grab our attention. I mean, and they really are reaching for our attention. And but the word of God doesn't operate that way. 
God already said how he feels. We have to care enough about it to go back to it. It's not, it's not screaming at us at the top of its lungs necessarily. Maybe it does when we're in a difficult situation. We realize I need God now. And we go mm-hmm. running to God for like a, a rescue um, line. But there's so many voices and I, and I, and it seems like it seems like the spirit of the age is pressing harder and harder to grab the church's attention, grab leaders' attention, get them distracted from their mission, from their purpose. Um, so, so what do we do? How do once we have a purpose? Once we know what we're supposed to do, how do we reject that? How do we, what what are some things we can do to reject those voices or discern even this voice is is taking me off the right track because maybe sometimes those voices are are seducing, if you will. They almost lure us away from our purpose. Maybe we're doing the right thing and we start entertaining the wrong thing. What what are some practical things we can do to make sure we're not getting caught up in all of that? Yeah, you know, as you're saying that, I, for several years, I read Proverbs every month. And it's easy to do, you know, one chapter a day. You read it uh, throughout a month. You can read it 12 times in a year. For several years, I did that. I got away from it for a couple of years. And this year, I felt led to go back to that. And I've been reading Proverbs over and over again. And Proverbs basically um, describes exactly what you just said, you know, uh, the principles there. Or that you got the seducing woman who's saying, "Hey, come to my house." She uh, she has the look, she has the words, the enticing words, and the and the the the, the foolish, the unlearned, the simple. They they go after her. They follow along. And I think that is so true in, in what we're talking about right now. You know, we get so easily distracted. You know, in a practical sense, and I think there are some biblical principles here. But you know, Stephen Covey years ago wrote a book. And it was titled the the uh, seven habits uh, of highly effective leaders. The seven habits, and uh, one of those was uh, talking about focus. And he talks a lot about um, time management and the four quadrants of management. And uh, the, you know, there's a quadrant one is the things that are very important and they're very urgent. So you're having a heart attack, just had a wreck. Uh, it's something that's urgent, something very important. Quadrant three, and I just skipped over two, I'll come back to it, but quadrant three are the things that are very important. Uh, I'm sorry, that are not important, but they're urgent. So when your phone rings, it vibrates, sounds off of your uh, notifications, they're they're right in front of you right now. That's why they're urgent, but urgent doesn't mean important. And, and many times they're not important, or at least not for the moment. And then there are the things that are not important and they're not urgent. And we spend a lot of time there, video games, um, goofing off, hanging out with our friends, you know, nothing necessarily bad, just to say that it's not important and not urgent, but you don't want to spend your life there. Otherwise, you'll waste hours every day. And But what really is important but not urgent, it's important but not urgent, are things like our devotions and our prayer and aligning with our purpose and going to school and studying and reading books and growing in our ability and 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 doing things um, 
that, um, you know, that take us towards our long-term goal, but they're just not urgent. So a lot of people don't spend much time there. Stephen Covey said that highly affected people, he found that they spend 85% of their time in things that are important, but they're not urgent. And they focus on those areas. And so I was just recently teaching this and uh, I had a man come up to me and he is, uh, I would say he's probably early forties. And he came up to me and he said, man, he goes, I have wasted years goofing off playing video games. And he said, I've got a game that I love. And he starts telling me about this game that he loves. And he said, I was so challenged by what you said. I went home and he said, I told my wife, I'm going to play it one last time. And I'm getting rid of it. He said, I played it one last time. He said, I got rid of it. He said, I made him a vow to my wife. And he said, I'm telling you right now. He said, I'll never play it again. Wow. And so amazing. here's a person 40 in their forties and they've got, you know, they, they, they work for business. They've, they've got a, a good family. They're involved in ministry. They actually are involved in ministry in the church. And I'm not calling them a preacher, but they're just involved in, in, in different ministries in the church. But they said to me, I have wasted years of my life. I've yet to hone in on true purpose because I've just spent so much time in things that are not important and they're not urgent. And so, you know, it's simple, but at the same time, it's so profound. And, and those principles are in Scripture. They're, they're in Scripture. It's what's so wild. And um, you know, I could go on and on. I think about the parable that Jesus um, gave with the, the wise man and the foolish man. And uh, the rain came, storms came. And so basically life happened. They, you know, they lived, they lived life. And uh, one of them, um, he was, his house was built on a rock. And, and we know the story. When I was a kid, we used to sing the song, you know, the foolish man uh, built his house upon the sand. And the walls came tumbling down, and then you come down to that last line, and the house on the sand went smack. You know, that was my favorite line of the song. I'm smacking my hands together and yelling <laughs> out. And and I'm an adult, man. I'm 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 in my thirties. And I'm reading that that parable. And I saw it. I don't know how I missed it. It's so simple. And I, I, I'm I'm guessing that most of the next gens that were that are listening right now they already know this, but I was in my 30s before I realized it. Is that both men? The Bible says uh, that that they heard the word. Jesus is now given meaning to the parable. He's he's given meaning to the story, and he says both of them heard the word. He said, but only the wise man went out and did the word. And so you know we we hear it. We're surrounded by it, but we don't uh, always apply it, you know, and we need to apply it. We need to apply so it. So good. So good. A thought that comes to my mind in relation to the word of God is um, the enemy's voice is a lie. And he's always creating diversions, distractions and conflict. Oh, yeah. he, his voice is always focusing on the wrong thing instead of the right thing. It's always attracting your attention. In fact, we were in a staff meeting this morning and, and one of the staff spoke up and said, you know, uh, we were talking about being thankful, just, just the, the principle of being thankful and how uh, I mentioned how unthankful people uh, or, or unthankfulness, I should say, is like the door to a reprobate mind because 
when you lose your thankfulness, you open the door to basically anything that the enemy can say because you have nothing. You don't appreciate what God has done for you. And, uh, and, and the Bible talks about being thankful in prayer and being thankful everything you do. Do it with thanksgiving. The God of peace will be with you. So uh, one of the staff members spoke up and he said, you know, I was thinking about that same thing this morning. And he said, if you look at the Garden of Eden, the devil tried to focus them on comparison on what they wow. didn't have. Well, wow, I know where you're going. They weren't I love thankful it. with what they had. I love they it. didn't appreciate what they already had. They started focusing on what they didn't have. Yeah. So the voice of the enemy is constantly robbing us of our appreciation for what we have in God. Yeah. God's given God, you know, the crazy thing is God gave them every tree that was good for food, pleasant to the sight, yep. and the tree of life. And Eve looks up and as she says, the tree would for food, pleasant to the sight, and a tree that would make her wise. Everything that God gave her, she was seeing a counterfeit. She was looking yeah. to the counterfeit for the answer. Very good. And and I so so if the voice of the enemy is bringing division and, and distraction and and conflict. To me, how do you resolve conflict? Well, the way we do it is we go to the we go to the judge. Well, we shouldn't. The Bible says if you're if you're a saint of God, judge yourselves because aren't don't you know you're going to judge angels? And so don't sue each other in court. Resolve your conflicts. Well, in court, what what's the common authority? It's the law. Yeah. What should resolve every Christian's conflict? God's word. It should be the word of God. That, so yeah. to me, as you're talking about the word of God, I keep what keep resonating, resonating inside of me is there's a common authority. And when we lack in a marriage, there's got to be a common authority. Oh, yeah. You talked about this. Tell us, talk about, talk about, um, this is something that you, you've, you've discussed in the past. And it's something that I feel like is right along these lines. You talked about, uh, orbiting around yeah. core values and or and to me it's like almost we're orbiting around the word of god that's like our our core yeah. value but can you expound on that concept of how a common authority resolves basically everything that we're wrestling with within ourselves and others yeah yeah and that's that's so true and so great you know i, I gotta say something what you're talking about there at the garden um Satan comes along and and uh, he challenges and when he does with Eve he starts up this starts up this conversation and he he says some truth but then he mixes it with some things that's not true and he's talking about the, the things that gets us sidetracked many times it's it's something that's true but it's not true you know it's a partial truth it's not all the truth. And, and it's so interesting that she takes of the fruit and eats of it. And, and the scripture says that, that uh, you will know good and evil. And now we automatically know that evil is bad for us. But in, in, if you go back and look at it and read it really closely, the good is just as evil as the evil. And we totally miss that. And so we end up with people like, for example, Adolf Hitler. He promises 
that the streets are going to be better, the schools are going to be better, the, your income, you're going to make more money. And there were so many things, if you go back and read the history of Adolf Hitler and Germany in that time, and he delivered on those promises to the point that Christianity, in a broad sense, was like, man, they were singing his praises because he had delivered. But the good could never save him from the evil that was within him. And the good will never save us from the evil that is within us. So the answer, and this is taking a broad approach to this view, the answer is not good things. The answer is the best thing. In our life, we can fill our life up with so many good things, and we get distracted by so many good things that often we're not able to truly focus in on what the best thing is. Well, how do we know what the best thing is? Well, the only way we can know what the best thing is is by God speaking to us. Through his word, he speaks to us, and then in, in giving us direction in our life, he speaks to us, and that never is contrary to the word. It flows out of the word. Amen. And this ever-present word. And so, you know, you're talking about the orbiting. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got a story there that is it's too long of a story to tell. We probably need two or three podcasts. But uh, the, the essence <laughs> of it, it. I, was, I, was, I was kidding. There we go. Come on now. And uh, get me in a, a, a London fog, Iceland yeah. fog, and, and uh, we'll make it happen. I'll send one through the air mail. If, if you're listening right now, <laughs> go get you an Iceland fog. You'll thank me for it later. And so, uh, anyway, uh, it, 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 I was I was counseling this couple, a married couple, and um, they, they were having some great difficulties, and I wasn't getting anywhere. I was stuck, and it was my second meeting with them, and I started praying, God, what do you, you know, what should I do? And I just felt inspired. I grabbed a chair and I set it in the middle of the room, and I said, "There's only one chair in this room. Who's going to sit down this chair?" And they're just looking at me. And I said, sir, I see you sitting in this chair and you're saying, look, I, I have asked for forgiveness. He'd had a moral failure. And I said, you're saying, I'm, I've, I've asked for forgiveness. I've done everything I know to do. That was a year and a half ago. And I'm just going to be the one sitting in this chair and you're going to orbit around me. And I said, ma'am, I see you sitting in the chair and you're saying, look, I forgave you a long time ago, but I don't trust you. So therefore, I'm not going any further in this relationship. You're going to orbit around me. I'll never forget, it's been uh, a good while back, and I'm standing behind the chair, and I'm like, God, what next? Because I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't have a clue where I was going. I never heard the illustration, never read it, never seen it. And the Lord just spoke to my spirit, and I said, do you love the Lord? And I'm looking at the man. He was like, yes. I said, do you really love him? Yes. Do you really love him? Man, big old tears. And he's like, yes. And I said, ma'am, do you love the Lord? And she says, yes. I said, do you really love him? Yes. And uh, I didn't plan on asking him three times, like you know, Jesus asking the Apostle Peter three times. That's what was happening. And I said, do you really love him? Big old tears to her eyes. She said, yes. Now, mind you, he's sitting on one end of the couch. She's in a chair as far away from him as she can get in this office. And uh, I'm standing behind this chair that I'm saying, this is the only chair in the room, you know. And uh, I looked at him at that moment, and I smiled real big. I clapped my hands together, and I said, congratulations. You guys are going to have a great marriage. And, and now, mind you, he had had a moral failure. He had, he had committed adultery about a year and a couple months into his marriage. They had been separated uh, for over eight months, had gone back to their respective cities and churches. And I'm telling them they're going to have a great marriage. And, uh, and the reason is because they told me who was going to sit in the chair. It wasn't. 
him and it wasn't her, it was the Lord. And together they would orbit. So I had to begin to describe what that was going to look like in practical terms. That he, you know, she was going to get his passwords to every piece of technology that he owned. And uh, she was going to have to forgive and, and choose not to recall it and use it for vindictive purposes. Anyway, they went on. They have an incredible marriage. They've got several children and uh, are living for the Lord, involved in ministry in their local church. It's just an amazing story. And from that, the Lord began to put in my heart and spirit that it's so important that we orbit around a common purpose and core values. And uh, as individuals, we need to know that there is a purpose that we orbit around. We're not the center. We're not the center. Um, you know, the, his purpose, uh, the kingdom, God, uh, th th that's at the center. And then there's values that we are to live out. And those values sh should trump um, my personal values. Uh, I'm talking about values from the word of God. And uh, there are some things that should trump my, my emotions and my feelings and my mindset. And I, and I need to call myself into alignment with those things. And that's what Jesus did with the Apostle Peter. You know, when it's interesting, Jesus says, uh, get behind me, Satan, because Peter says, I don't want you to die. But a couple of days later, Jesus himself is praying, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But he's calling Peter into alignment, uh, just as he himself is in alignment. And, uh, you know, when, when, when Peter hears that Jesus say that he's going to die, and the Apostle Peter says, Lord, not so, you know what really is the driving motivation of the Apostle Peter saying, not so, Lord? Here, here it is. It's self-preservation. And the reason is, is because Peter has already said, I will follow you wherever you go. And so he hears the Lord saying, I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter's like, oh, no, no, Lord, because Peter's already put two and two together. If that's what's going to really happen to you, then that's probably what's getting ready to happen to me. And so the Apostle Peter is shunning that. Now, what's so interesting is time goes by and we know that the rest of the story, according to history, the Apostle Peter um, was hung on a cross upside down. And it's amazing what happens when you begin. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. But it's amazing what happens when you align yourself with, with values and you put God at the center. I just want to say right now to someone that is listening to Next Gen, uh, I, don't, I don't care what society says success is. I don't care what your peers say success is. Success, ultimate success, is being faithful to what God has set in motion for you. Well done, that good and faithful servant. When it's all said and done, I want to hear him say, well done, that good and faithful. And uh, I may not have the success that I want. I may not have the success that others think that I should have. But as long as he says, well, then that good and faithful servant, then I've done the right thing. And I think about Jeremiah, who spent 40 years and never had great success. But he was so successful because he did what God told him to do. And um, anyway, I could go on. It was a little lengthy. But um, man, I, so next that gens, you bring it out of me. I love you guys. That, that concept, okay, you've talked about several things. You've talked about focusing on your purpose. It's like a funnel. It's wide at the top, and it narrows down as you get to the bottom. Um, you've spoke on focusing rather on, on what, you, um, what you've heard and, and uh, the voice of God rather than what you feel as Jacob um, and Esau that situation where Isaac was was leaning upon his his feeling rather than his 
his his hearing. Um, you, you've talked about purpose and 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 knowing your purpose. And uh, what's the best way to find your purpose? What's the what's the best way to be realigned? You've talked about um, focusing on important, not urgent things. So eliminating urgency and focusing on that daily mundane stuff is does it does it kind of blossom like a rose almost? Does your purpose kind of just start to evolve out of this, and you start to realize who you are and what you're supposed to become as you focus on the right things and and day by day? That is a great question, and uh, to a large extent, absolutely, that's exactly it. So it's not um, like this epiphany moment. One day you be- you've become something, but it's every single day you're yeah, moving it's towards walking it. walking the journey. It's the becoming. Um, I often say that like this, that becoming precedes doing. When it's all said and done, what you become will be far greater than all you've ever done. And so the becoming is, is the pursuit. Um, and when I say becoming, I'm talking about aligning with God's plan, what God is doing, God changing your heart. You know, it, one of the lessons that I learned years ago, and it was a difficult lesson, was that God gave me a promise. And um, at the time I was pastoring a small home missions church, and he gave me a promise that the church was going to have a great revival, and I was going to be a part of it. And so um, I gave it all I had. I lived in the church for a couple of years. I sacrificed greatly. And uh, I was encouraged because I had a promise and I knew what the future looked like. And the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, you know. And so you're looking to the future and you see things. And, you know, that whole, uh, I love the, the scripture where it talks about, um, in essence, what it says is connecting the dots. And, uh, and you, you, you know, you're, you, you rejoice, you see things in the future. And, and so... I've talked a lot about that. And, and so I had, I was experiencing this in my life. And so despite the challenges, I was, I knew we had a bright future. And then uh, there came a time about five and a half years later, uh, six years. And, uh, the Lord put it in my heart that I would be leaving. And I felt as though that I was like Abraham taking Isaac out to sacrifice him. And when you think about it, after all of the sacrifice and all the ridicule and all the years of Sarah being barren, I mean, the list goes on and on. And now you have this promised child and you've sent Ishmael out into the wilderness. I mean, you've put everything into this promised child and now you're out, you're um, instructed by the Lord to sacrifice him. And uh, man, that's tough. That's tough. And then God gives him back. And God gave me back my dreams, the promise he had given me. He didn't give it back to me in the location. It didn't happen at that church with me leading. Um, Two years later, that church had grown exponentially. But the Lord gave it back to me in a bigger vision. And I've seen some things that are just mind-blowing to me and moving forward and, and much larger. And he's done that repeatedly. He'll ask me to walk away from things and then he'll give it back to me. And it's bigger. Every time it's bigger. 
And um, I think that you got to just trust him. you got to trust God. Um, I, I had a friend who said that he went to the hospital and uh, there was an elderly lady that she was dying and she took her last breath and he saw her hand and said it had been in a fist. He said, but when she took that last breath and she released that last breath, she, he said that her hands opened up and it wasn't just opened up a little bit. It opened up fully extended. And that was her last, her last act physically just opened up her hands completely. And he said that when he saw it, he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, I want to take you to a higher level, but I can't do it because you won't open your hand. Wow. He said that the Lord began speaking to him and said, the reason you won't open your hand is because you're afraid you will lose something. And he said, and you're absolutely right. He said, I can't give you something better if you don't open your hand. Amen. Wow. So I think our, you know, you, this is kind of circling back to the very beginning, but our mindset, our expectations, I mean, we, we, we lock down so much of what God is really wanting to do in our life. And we try to preserve our lives and we want to be successful. And we want to do good. And we, we, we want to, we, we want to do something in, in life, but we, we become very headstrong and we often think that it's our way. And then we got, if you look around long enough in our world today, you're going to find someone who's going to agree with you. So, uh, you know, the best thing to do is stay in the word of God, stay close to your pastor. That's good. Stay close to men of God and let them, uh, let them speak into your life. And, 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 and then and I, one last thing I would say about that is give it time. You know, man, when we're young, we think, man, we got to accomplish everything today. And it's all going to happen right now. And there'll be some things that you'll dream about that won't take place for 30 more years. It's okay. When it comes around in God's timing, you're going to rejoice. God gave me a dream when I was 15 years old that I was preaching in a certain church. God was just now at that time in my life calling me into the ministry. And at 45 years old, I went back. I got a phone call on a Friday night to go preach in that church on Sunday. And I, said, I hung up the phone. I said, God, what do you want me to preach? And God said, reminded me of my dream when I was 15. He says, preach what you said you was going to preach when you were 15 years old. And I went back 30 years later. I walked into that church, that pulpit, preached the message that God gave me. And so God has given dreams right now to you next gens that um, some of them will come to pass in the next six months. Some of them may be six years and some of them may not be for 30 years. But just hold on to it. Don't grow discouraged. Just stay with it. Walk with the Lord. You know, it's interesting. I got to say something. I, here again, I feel the Lord in saying this. But uh, Joseph was made to prosper. And sometimes you can say, well, man, I'm prosperous. This must be it. But he was in he was in a Potiphar's household. And uh, he was made to prosper again. And this time he was in a prison. And some of us would say, well, you know, I've gone through a lot. And here I am. And at least I've got some success now. And we'll settle. But God doesn't want you to settle for slavery. He doesn't want you to settle for a prison. He's got something bigger in mind. But you just got to let him do it his way. And he, he will. He'll bring it around. And it's amazing to see Joseph's life. And God will make you prosper and he'll position you. And he'll do it in his in His timing. Amen. So good. So good. Well, I appreciate your time, Brother Wilson. I, I think um, one of my 
takeaways from this is that the word of God is going to filter the noise pollution and it's going to help us to focus on our purpose. Um, if we'll focus on it, that, that reminds me of saying Bishop is always Bishop Sharp. He's always said where your attention goes, your power flows. And, uh, you know, what we focus on is what we're becoming. Yeah. So good. And yeah, I wrote that one down allow- when I heard it recently. When we- <laughs> I was just saying, when, I was just, I'm sorry. I was just saying when I heard that recently, I wrote that one down because that that is a powerful statement. If you're listening, you need to write that down. You need to write it down. It's so true. It is true because if we focus on weak things, we will become weak. If we focus on God things, we will become, we will fulfill the will of God and the purpose of God. Uh, When he focused on the wrong tree, she went the wrong direction. And uh, where your attention goes, what, what we allow to grab our attention is going to direct the power of our lives. So true. I believe that this generation wants to be powerful for God. And uh, so let's do it. Let's do it. Next gen, let's let's see where God will take us if we will give God our focus, our attention. I believe the best is yet to come. We haven't seen anything yet. Our greatest days are still ahead of us. Uh, the greatest revivals and preaching and, and efforts are yet to be seen. Amen. In Jesus' name. In well, Dr. Jesus Wilson, name. do you have any closing comments before we go? One last one. Two last ones. One, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be a part. And um, I so have enjoyed our time together. The second one is is that um, God will bring it to pass, and he will never let your pain go to waste. God will take what you've been through, the hardships, the struggles, problems, all those difficulties, what you've been through and what you will go through, and God will bring it together, and he will use it for good and important purposes. Amen. Be a waste. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's go in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see the will of God done. Praise God. God bless you, Next Gen. We're so glad that you could be a part of this podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to follow this podcast and the NextGen social media to stay updated on the latest content. We pray this episode encouraged you, and we will see you on the next one.